All right, Mark, you're recording. You're looking dapper as ever, my friend. Dapper and slightly hungover. <laughs> All right, you ready? Let's do this. Yeah. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bonding with Mark and Andy. We're still continuing on with our history of Ian Fleming and the James Bond character himself. Today, we're going to pick up talking about the movies coming into, or the, the books becoming produced into films. And we'll talk uh, just a little bit about the early films, the production company, uh, producers of Saltzman and uh, Broccoli. We'll get a little bit of history of those two. And then we'll. Uh, We'll discuss Connery and the uh, the oft overlooked George Lazenby. Good old George. <laughs> so, so Mark, let's discuss. So, the films we talked last episode how it was made in uh, America had kind of dipped their fingers into the James Bond pie, which we both have not seen, but we will endeavor to see, and that will be another episode we talk about that one. But um, Doctor No becomes the first film that they make fifth i think it's the fifth book but it was the first first movie that they made yeah yeah and as we previously talked about it was done mainly because it it could be shot in on one location it was all, yeah it was all in one location which was jamaica so they in shot your, it there and your note here that you you sent me says that ian fleming first wrote dr no as a television outline for film producer henry morgenthal the third to promote jamaican tourism industry. yeah I've heard that. I, I think that's i think that's true but if the deal fell through it didn't happen and that's when he started talking to harry i think it was harry saltzman first he wanted to buy all of the bond books and turn them into movies couldn't afford to do it for one reason or another got introduced to cubby broccoli they teamed up and off they went and we've we talked in another episode about how he sold uh all the rights to salzman uh, for the James Bond novels for fifty thousand dollars, with exception, yeah, with exception yeah. of Casino Royale and Thunderball, because Thunderball, I mean, you'll have to get into that at a later date. But Thunderball, he wrote, he wrote the outline for it. The 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 plot came. It was a combination of him and a guy called Kevin McClory, and somebody else whose name I forget. But um, they were going to come up with a, a James Bond story. It didn't work out. But Ian Fleming took the basis of what they decided together and turned it into the novel for Thunderball and then got sued for it. <laughs> and then that went on for years and years and years. That dragged on for a very long time. Oh, that's fair. Well, yeah, we got to definitely dive into that a little yeah. bit. Uh, so uh, your notes tell me, so after, after Salzman gained the rights for the novels, he initially had trouble financing the project. Um, that's right. So he got Broccoli in. They teamed up. And uh, United Artists, I think, was the film production company to start with. So uh, I, I know I've asked you before, Broccoli was a, a producer or they a money both, man? Salzman and Broccoli were both, yeah, movie producers, TV, that sort of thing. And they were angling for the Bond books and finally managed to strike a deal between the two of them and off they went. And they stayed together until, I think it was 1975. I think it was the mid-70s. And then it all went horribly wrong, as these things do. Yeah, well, it says here, let's see, uh, screenwriter Wolf Mankiewicz introduced Saltzman 
to uh, Albert R. Covey Broccoli, who himself, I guess, wanted the rights to the novels and attempted to buy them from Salzman, but Salzman did not want to sell the rights to Broccoli, and instead they formed a partnership to make the films. Yeah. Uh, they created two companies, uh, uh, Dan Dan Jack, is that what it's Dan called? Jack, which is apparently um, the two wives' names. I think one's, one of the wives was called Danielle, the other one was Jacqueline, I think. Okay. Combine the names. And then the, the main production company that everybody's heard of is Eon Productions. Yeah. They're the people that produce the food. You'll see that at the credits at the beginning of the movie. And that's supposed to stand for everything or nothing. Yeah. It was supposed <laughs> to be such a massive gamble at the beginning. They called their company Eon, everything or nothing. And, and, but it's such a cool word, Eon. Yeah, I like great. that. Yeah. Eon. Um, so they said they, I guess they struggled to get the films made. A number of Hollywood film studios, they didn't want to fund the films, finding them. Uh, quote too British and too blatantly sexual. It was a lot of that in those. So novels. I guess in the sixties, yeah, they were pretty risque. Well, the like late said, well, things started to change in the sixties, didn't they, with the Beatles and all the rest of it? But in the late, you know, mid to late fifties, things were slightly different. Bond was a little bit risque. Well, and like I said in in my review of Doctor No, there is very brief nudity, and that's mm -hmm. a PG PG thirteen film. And mm -hmm. I was like, eh. Uh, you know, again with the um, Ursula Andress walking around in her bikini, which I think at that time was pretty, well, pretty daring stuff. Yeah, pretty daring if that's the right word to use. The G's pretty easy on the eyes, so again, I'll, I'll re reiterate that. Um, so we go on with eventually the two received authorization from the United Artists to produce Doctor No to be released in 1962. As you stated earlier, the partnership between Broccoli and Salzman lasted until 1975 when tensions right, yeah. during the filming of The Man with the Golden Gun led to an acrimonious split, and Salzman sold his shares of Dan Jack to United Artists. I think he was heavily in debt at the time. There was all sorts of stuff going on. So, yeah. Oh, God, I mean, imagine what that's worth now. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you do what you got to do at the time, but... yeah. Could they imagine they're sitting on a, a, a multi-involved bomb now? God. A billion-dollar industry, billions. Anyway, I say that all the time. Uh, so let's get to the movies, uh, the casting. Uh, back in '61, there was a very slim casting budget for Bond. Cary Grant, David Niven, Patrick McGowan, and Richard Johnson all turned down the role for various reasons. Apparently so. And I think we talked about that in Doctor No. We put a little, or one of our episodes, we talked about uh, Cary Grant, who was, uh, yeah, I mean, a star, definitely a he star. Wanted to, apparently, Cary Grant was up for doing it, but he only, only wanted to do one film, and that was no good. Yeah, again, like, what were you thinking? Cary yeah. Grant could have been a star. Could have been a star. Yeah. Um, then you said, your other note, you say to me, 28 year old model Peter Anthony was the winner of an open, quote, find James Bond casting yeah, contest. Right. Uh, but was ruled unsuitable by the producers. Apparently, he looked great, but he wasn't an actor. So I'll have to that dig up really a picture him. of him for this. No. Uh, Peter Anthony. Uh, that's when they found the Scottish star Sean Connery was an actor with many stage and screen credits already under his belt. Uh, when he met the producers, his macho personality, panther-like poise, and refusal to do a screen test. <laughs> the dog. <laughs> uh, that's Apparently not, a, not either... Is or not a fan of Connery? I think she likes Sean Connery. She got all excited when she, she heard his voice. 
Well, everybody know. has to like Sean Connery, right? How do you not like Connery's Sean Connery? great. We, we've talked about this before. He's just got an elegance to him that you either got style or you don't. And Connery does. And that's it. Yeah, no he really just kind of oozes out of him. And, yeah. you know, I, again, because I wasn't a Bond guy, my first knowledge or real that I tried to think of this the other day, Connery first came on my radar as as a as a, I mean I'd seen him before but I really started watching his films uh during the Untouchables movie yeah, yeah and his iconic line in that movie where he's this this street cop and he's got the uh, uh the English Scottish accent and kind of really developing that caricature of himself that he became in the line where he says uh where where Kevin Costner's talking to him as Elliot Ness and about he's he's talking to him about you just got to be tougher than the gangs. Right, the if you, if you put put one of theirs in the morgue or something like that. Yeah, it? he says uh, if he if he sh- if he stabs one of yours, you shoot one of his. Shoot him. Yeah, yeah. If he puts one of yours in the hospital, you put one of his in the morgue. That's and I was funny. like, holy shit, that's an awesome mm-hmm. line, and he delivered it so well. And I was like, yeah, this Connery guy, I think he's got a future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, granted, I had missed out on the previous. Uh, twenty plus years of his career, but uh, he's a jobbing actor, as far as I know. I think he was in South Pacific. He was in a musical. Um, he's you know he was he was a jobbing actor. The Bond role shot him to stardom, obviously, but yeah, he was a jobbing actor at the time. Yeah, well, I think uh, we've mentioned it in the last episode was uh, the first movie review episode, Doctor No, that he was he was first real leading role was uh what Gilbert. Sullivan and the Little People. Gilbert oh, Sullivan. that's right. Something that was his something. first leading yeah. role. He'd been in movies, but that was his first where we, the world saw him as a leading man. And it was like a musical. He was singing and dancing and what what whatnot. Um, but uh, let's see. It says here is uh, he refused to do a screen test, which impressed the duo, and most importantly, impressed their wives. And they snapped him up for a fifty thousand dollar per movie deal, uh, six picture deal. And in that in itself 60s. would cause problems later down the line because imagine how much money they were earning by the time the third film comes out. And poor old Connery's only getting 50 grand a, a go. Yeah, that I mean, troubles. brilliant on their part to, yeah. to snatch up this guy, slightly unknown, and to lock him in for six movies at mm-hmm. a uh, paltry. And now 50000 back then, I'm sure, was quite a nice sum of money. But compared to what it started to earn for other people, that's not very much money at all. It's not. It's a little bit of a. Hey man, we'll smack in the face. Yeah. Um, was the, the line that you've told me once before is uh, uh they they weren't sure about him until they allegedly watched him leave the office, mm. leave from their office window, and the way he crossed the street, he moved like a cat. Yeah, Connery has an unmistakable cool about him. They both agreed he was the man for the job, mm. and of course, the iconic scene where we first the world first gets its glimpse of. Sean Connery and James Bond is at the uh, the casino table in Doctor No, and he looks amazing. He's in black tie. He's in you know extremely luxurious surroundings. He looks like he owns the place. It's a great introduction to a character. He looks cooler than any of us could hope to be. Yeah, yeah. That's really the end of the day. It's like yeah. he's he's in that that's that era of. Um, you know, the 60s over here in the in the States was like the Rat Pack and you had uh, Sinatra mm. and uh, Dean Martin and all those guys were this kind of just, 
you wanted to be them. Mm-hmm. And there was no chance in hell you're ever going to be as cool as these guys. But you could aspire. You could you could do your hair right. You could get a nice suit, smoke 60, 70 cigarettes a day. Mm-hmm. Well, Bond movies gave you a glimpse into a completely different world that was out of reach to most ordinary pe- people in 1962, 63. And that glamorous sort of world that you got a glimpse of, people wanted more of it. People wanted to be James Bond. They wanted the women. They wanted to drive the cars. That's why it was yeah. so- it, it, in reality, who that's as a, as a guy. I mean, growing up, like that's why you do what you do. You're trying to impress your uh, maybe a future partner, or spouse. Okay. Who knows? But you're you're doing what you can to look nice. That's why you drive the car you drive. That's why you wore a bandana around your neck and, or you're, you tied it around your leg. You know, that was a long time ago. <laughs> oh my god, I found some old pictures. You know, I've I've off camera. I've told Mark on my. My father is moving from our childhood home, and there's uh, photo albums galore. And I I keep finding these pictures, and I I send them to various friends. You, you, you dressed up as Kiss as a teenager, uh, slightly disturbed. I, I dressed as Kiss. I've got a picture. I'll send you uh, after this, Mark, that you can just kind of look at. It's a family photo. It is of the time. It's nothing. I'm sure I will ever put out on social media, but I'll share it with my friends so they can laugh at me. But send it uh, over. I could do with a good laugh. Always trying to get the ladies, Mark. It's always never in my life, even with a suit on, I could never pull off Bond. Uh, or not many people can. Or Sinatra. But uh, the the beauty of film and the and you know, I, I, I've said before I do another podcast with a friend of mine where we review movies and what I love about films and what I think you you alluded to with, with the Bond films is it's escapism. You know, we no, can perfect for an hour and a half you can sit there and you can imagine like it's like buying a lottery ticket you you always think you might have a chance to win but you really don't Mm. but for a few days you feel good about yourself you think well if i win the lottery i'm going to do this or if i could for this hour and a half if i could be as cool as james bond man in real life would i handle the situation that way i'm sure i wouldn't but you like to think that you would for an hour and a half, it takes you out of your normal humdrum existence and you become yeah. a gentleman adventure in a world that few people get to, to see, you know, what's not to like. It lets you forget your life for a good hour and a half. Your escapism, as you've just yeah. said. Um, so let's, let's get back to our friend Sean Connery. The movie's made Connery a global star. Uh, but he felt underappreciated on the terms of that initial deal, and he was released from his contract during the filming of his fifth film, You Only Live Twice. Yeah, they fell out <laughs> in a big way. Broccoli, Saltzman, and Connery, as the money started rolling in, Connery felt he was being under <clears throat> undervalued, wanted a share of the profits. They didn't want to share it with him, and it all blew up. Yeah. And I get that. I mean, that does that happens all the time today. I mean, that's kind of a standard now. Even uh, not just in film and sports. I mean, you see holdouts where people. I mean, over here, it's usually football and baseball or basketball stars. Um, they've they've signed an initial rookie contract for very little money, and next thing you know, their team goes on to win a championship because mm-hmm. of this one player. And he's like, "Hey, you know, a little scratch, a little something for my effort." Yeah, and yeah. if they balk at it, the guy's like, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to show up to training camp. How about that? Mm-hmm. And you can start the season without the guy who got you to the Super Bowl or the World Series. And it's funny how quickly they'll come off the checkbook. Like, well, let's mm-hmm. just let's not get crazy. 
It was short-sighted. They should have made him a partner, kept him happy, and let it kept going. But yeah, yeah. Same I mean, how many films you think he would have done? Because he only did what five? It was five up until sixty-seven. Then he came back in seventy-one for Diamonds. But they, yeah. I mean, they could have had a they could have had a hell of a run if they kept him sweet and kept him happy. But money changes people, changes things. As the great Cindy Lauper once sang, "Money changes everything." Indeed, it think, does. I think Indeed she's right. Does. So then we go on with uh, Broccoli and Saltzman cast the, the net wide looking for uh, the replacement for Connery. Yeah, there were all sorts of people they were looking at. They considered actors as varied, and this is the note you sent me, Oliver Reed, Terrence yeah. Stamp, John yeah. Richardson, and Timothy Dalton, mm-hmm. who, as we know later, does uh, uh, make an appearance. Um, they looked at all sorts of people after Connery. Yeah, and then they got so they they found this. Uh, they ended up settling on an Australian model who is famous for doing a fries chocolate key cream TV advertisement. George Lazenby getting the role of Bond is quite legendary. The way he managed it and pulled it off, then went ahead and did one picture and said, "No, I don't want to do anymore." It's it's become the stuff of legend. George Lazenby. So tell us what you know about this gentleman, George. I think at one point he's from Australia. He at one point I think he was a car salesman. Then he got into bit part acting, acting in TV commercials or something in in Australia. Hence the he was he was the face of Big Fry Chocolate at one point. He was the he was the guy that came in with a massive chocolate bar on his shoulder or something. <laughs> um, I have to find that. I don't even know what that. Yeah, is. I think I think the advert with him in his chocolate advert is him carrying a great big bar of chocolate on his shoulder, <laughs> something like that. But anyway, he um, he was yeah he was in England. They they were looking for Bond. He went out and got a <clears throat> got a haircut so he looked like Connery. He went to Connery's old tailor, got one of his old suits that he hadn't picked up, and basically walked into the production offices at Eon and said, "I hear you're looking for James Bond. Here I am." <laughs> Just blagged his way in, apparently. <laughs> I mean, what a massive. Uh... Uh, set of courage there. Well, That's yeah, nice. exactly. He's got some cojones. Is that what they say? Yeah. It's cojones. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, he notes... in and basically blagged it and got, got yeah. So the note that you sent me says um, he impressed the producers and Peter Hunt, the director, with his confidence. Not to mention the stunt coordinator who he accidentally punched for real, breaking his nose during the screen test. Yeah. Um. You have uh, you add a, a, in all respects, Lazenby gives a singular performance um, in her on Her Majesty's people. Secret Service. Uh, when I was a boy growing up, it was it was all Roger, uh, and George was sort of overlooked. He just did one, and you know, Roger Roger Moore became James Bond. But if you look back at it now, lots of people say it. It's a great film. It's got some great sequences in it. It's very well written, and George looks good in it. He does he does a good job. It's a shame he he didn't stick around and do some more because i think he'd have been very good yeah um your notes kind of hint at that uh, his relationship with the producers became fractured and upon advice he declined that all the offers of a multi-picture deal believing that bond wouldn't last much longer than the 60s well because you by the time that george got involved it's 68 69 so yeah end of the 60s it's hippies it's flower power and James Bond looked a bit passe, he thought at the time. He got some very bad management advice. He told him not to do it. So he turned, you know, he turned down the deal that they offered him and walked away and then regretted it f- forever after, I believe. 
Yeah, because we, do we ever really hear of Lazenby? Well, he's um, been in bits and pieces over the years, but for a long time he was but, very much the yeah the black sheep of the James Bond family. It's a shame because you look at the work now, look at his film. He's great. He's good. He's, he has his moments. He, he's good. It's interesting, uh, and I know off camera we've talked about this. Uh, there's probably a long list of actors and actresses and probably comedians and musicians and whoever else you want to think of that under either bad advice or inflated egos made horrible decisions mm -hmm. for their careers. The one that jumps to my mind right off the top of my head is um, the actor McLean Stevenson from the TV series MASH over here. Uh, MASH had, had been a su surprise success uh, in the sitcom world here in America. And after the third season, going into the third season, he Henry, uh, he played Henry Blake, the commander. Uh, McLean, he, he, he didn't want to be part of an ensemble. He wanted to be the star, so mm -hmm. to speak. And he left probably one of the greatest series of American television. Mm-hmm way before it's peaked at its prime because he thought he was a little bigger than the show. And I, I have seen interviews where he says he, he's regretted that most of his life. I mean, he's since passed, but he said, you know, I just kind of, I, I think nobody wanted to be the second banana to Alan Alda, mm. but there was no denying what he was going to become. But mm. yeah, he did that. Um, you know, there's plenty of, there's an actor over here, David Caruso, who used to be in a TV series oh, called yeah, NYPD Blue. That's right. And in the, uh, was it the 90s? That show was on fire. Mm. And he left after the second season because he thought he was Bigger than a superstar. The show. Yeah. And he had a small little bump in his career where he just really couldn't find anything good. Mm. Uh, now, he did come back and do a CSI spinoff, and he, he he's... He's, I'm sure he's done quite well for himself, but uh, just off the top of my head, you can think of things like that. And, or we could speak to my, one of my favorite bands, Kiss, Peter Chris, who thought he was all the bee's knees with the hit song Beth, and he wanted to leave Kiss and have this massive, super successful solo career, and basically uh, he did not. Yeah. It, he needed Kiss, and that, that's but that's another podcast. Uh, so we move back to uh, the Bond films we talk about. Um now, a lot of people now again I haven't seen it yet, but on Her Majesty's Secret Service is is considered one of the better films in the series. Yeah. Is, am I wrong on that? Yeah, no, it's, it's great, great music, great theme. It's got Diana Rigg as the as the as, as Tracy Bond in it, and she's amazing. I mean, Diana Rigg's great. Is uh, that the one? Uh, so I know this is off topic, but Bond is, is only tied down once, right? Is that... Yeah, he marries once to is... Tracy Bond, Tracy De Vincenzo. She's the daughter of a of a of a crime lord, and uh, they get they get involved, and uh, yeah, he, he ends up getting married. So that that's she... this movie, though. Yeah, okay. that's on the Manchester's. And it's a shame because uh... a lot of the criticism that George got was because his Bond was slightly softer than than Sean Connery. He gets married, he falls in love, and all the rest of. But George played it really well. I think he did. Yeah. A lot of people look back at Honor Majesties now and say it's a classic movie. So it's a shame he didn't do it anymore. Yeah, I told you I had a guy I worked with who was a, he often said that um, it's an overlooked, he's an overlooked Bond. Mm. 
and underrated. And that mm. movie deserves a little more credit. A little, than, a little more love, a little more credit. Yeah, yeah like, that which, it gets. Is getting, which is getting now. People have come to, to see it as that. Yeah, I think in hindsight, we, we our eyes are a little better as we mm. get older. A little more forgiving. Yeah. Um, so you say here, uh, the, the notes, after the Lazenby debacle, producers enticed Connery back one more time for 1971's Diamonds Are Forever. That's right. But it would soon be time to find another new Bond. Distributors... They were, they were desperate to get Connery back because Lazenby was seen as, at the time as such a complete disaster. So yeah. They offered him a record-breaking amount of a million, I think it was a million dollars to come back, plus they finance two film projects of his choice that he could go off and do. So they tempted him back for one more, which was Diamonds Are Forever in 71. But he looks, with the best will in the world, he looks a little out of shape. He's playing <laughs> it for laughs. It's not really the bond that... If you watch From Russia With Love, where it's all taken quite seriously, and he's all lean and yeah, and super secret agent, and then you compare it to Diamonds Are Forever, nine years later, it's, there's a massive difference in the way Connery looks and... and <laughs> I look forward to this uh, progression. I really do, yeah. and we'll we'll discuss that in detail. So uh, he's a little heavier in in Diamonds Are Forever, and the hairpiece is a little bit of a problem. But we'll talk about that. Another <laughs> That's great. Uh, so what do we got here? Um, so I uh, see distributors United artists were displeased by the previous recasting, and executives floated some American names for nineteen seventy three. Yeah, they, they came looking for American actors. Yeah, so this Bond is interesting. Bond's Live and let British die, and should always be played by an Englishman. I, th I think, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I will agree with that. But the, this is the names that you've sent me. Now, well, we'll we'll verify this, but it sounds correct, uh, especially for the time. Nineteen seventy-three. Live and let die. They were looking at Burt Reynolds, apparently. Which I love, Burt Reynolds. I can't uh, see him as Bond. Though. Cannot see him as Bond. I, I will always see him as Smokey in the Bandit, and I, yeah, that's unfortunate, but that's how I see him. Yeah. Uh, Clint Eastwood, who, uh, he's got the toughness, but he's always going to be Dirty Harry to me. He's always, yeah, slightly before Dirty Harry, but yeah, he, American Cowboy. But then at the yeah. 68, 69, he'd done Where Eagles Dare. He's a good-looking guy. You can see why they'd have a sniff around. The yeah. one that makes me laugh is that Adam West. They weren't Adam. looking back. I mean, so if you look Adam at if you look at Adam West at the time, he's a good-looking, sharp. Well, if he's not, if he's not wearing the Batman outfit, if he's in a three-piece suit, he look, he looks apart. He could have could have carried it off, but yeah, he's an American. It should be James Bond should be an English guy. I think. Yeah, I mean Adam West, in in again a beloved actor, um, because I'm a huge Batman fan. Mm. Unfortunately, and this is what typecasting does, is I cannot see Adam West as anything other than Batman, oh, no matter Batman. what he does, and that's a shame. Because he was a yeah. a good actor, uh, it's just I think if he'd have been cast, the Bond films would have been derailed horribly. Yeah, yeah. and I, I I mean that with all the love and respect towards Adam West, that just would have been a horrible. No, it would it wouldn't have worked. I mean, out of those three, Clint Eastwood would have been your best bet, and I don't know if that would have even worked because Eastwood comes off to me very stiff as an actor, mm -hmm. not as fluid as cat like as as Connery would. So, Doesn't have um, that charm, that certain je ne sais quoi. Exactly. Did. So we're going to leave off with this. We're going to end this one with the facts that eventually the studio agreed that a British actor should always play Bond. Roger Moore. Good old Roger.
And we will leave it with that. We will pick up our next episode, the breaking down and talking in depth about the great Roger Moore and uh, his run as Bond. So with that being said, Mark, uh, let's bid adieu for now. Farewell, Uh, Nashville. You too, uh, England. Uh, Hungersford. Hungerford. Hungerford. It's so early, my tongue isn't even working correctly at this point. You need to have a coffee, I think. (laughs) I've got to have another cup. This one here. Another one. Uh, just so you know, Mark, I'm drinking the uh, the PG Tips. Oh, good boy, good boy. That's my Stephen King mug, my red rum nice. mug. But I always, I feel when I talk to you, I need to be drinking my nice. Now, I don't, tea. I don't drink a proper tea like you would, you and my wife would drink the with the cream in it. I do not. Um, I put yeah, a little lemon I, juice, a little lemon, lemon juice, and some, and some sugar. Oh, very good. But uh, I, for some reason, and I will try this. I promise you, I will try it with milk. But boy, it just seems wrong to me. I like it. Just, splash, of, splash of milk, couple of sugars, nice and dark. That's the way I like my tea. Like uh, you, as you called it, a builder's tea. I builder's tea, man. Builder's tea. Yeah, uh, just like the Scottish egg. I can't quite wrap my head around it, but someday, Mark, <laughs> I promise you, I will try these things. <laughs> and you, my friend, will try a chili dog. A, a three-way chili cheese dog. I want one. Yeah. All right, Mark, I bid you farewell. Keep on. Take care, my, my friend. friend. This has been a Touch of Madness production brought to you by the creative minds at Tommy Twins Media.